spread in the map out this week as far as our guests are concerned. It is our first American. A great interview with a brilliant surfer, Cindy Asosdian, and she's an amazing scientist. Plus, how cool is it to have that American accent on crest? I'm Tom Anderson. Welcome to the show. Some other news before we start. We're now available on Google Podcasts, thanks to a bit of jiggery-pokery from producer Dodd. So if you're listening to us on another platform but want to pick us up on Google, it is now possible to do. And lastly, very importantly before we start, an extra incentive to be a Crest listener, if you didn't need one already. This week's episode is brought to you by Porthcall Surf School. And to celebrate this partnership with Crest, for the month of September, and while stocks last... Listeners to the show can claim a free car freshener and a bar of wax from Porthcall Surf School at their centre at Rest Bay. How do you prove you're a Crest listener? It's simple. You need to show on the screen of your device that you have downloaded this week's show and that you're working your way through it. Turn up at Porthcall Surf School with that piece of exciting evidence and the guys will show their appreciation accordingly. Enjoy the show, guys. It's Cindy Associate. jobs for travelling surfers, surely this is one. We're speaking to someone whose fieldwork has involved touring some of the planet's most interesting patches of ocean, from Indonesia to the Norwegian Sea. Cindy Sosdian's work diary looks like the checklist for a search movie. But when did she realise the placement she'd make permanent was going to be Wales? Listen on to find out. Yes, of all the places this New Jersey raised ripper could have chosen to live, Wales has ended up top of the list. A bit of rotten luck? Or a vindication of our qualities as a surf destination? We'll be posing this question to Cindy in due course, among others. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have one of my favourite Wales-based surfers on the show today. Welcome to oh. Crest, Cindy. Thanks, thanks. Good to be here. And Good to see you. I, I'll tell you what, this is a, a rarity. It's a first for Crest. I think it's a first that we're sitting down interviewing a guest with whom we have actually just scored some pretty good surf we just had a good fun surf didn't we yeah yeah it was really i do feel like i've been kind of given the tour here go surf the asp surf the coney corner and you know getting the tour by you tom that's pretty nice too yeah. and uh getting some good waves a couple of bombs came through and it was just us yeah yeah it was really nice uh i got some good laughs and did a few turns and then you you traded off some and i think i pulled in a barrel but i don't think so really yeah so. i saw it you did <laughs> 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 i tried <laughs> just, just for the listener record uh, i'm tom anderson and partly at the request of cindia and partly because of how good a job she did of keeping logan nickel in his place two weeks ago <laughs> my co-host today is Breege lawrence uh, Breach, what's your favourite thing about Cindy as a surfer? Because you've spent some time in the water with her too, haven't you? Yeah, um, where to start really? You know, of course, I can just appreciate Cindy's like, natural style when she's surfing. She's very accomplished. She's got all the moves down. We were at the wave recently and she was like smacking the lip. It was, uh, it was great. Um, I've also got a respect for Cindy as a cold water surfer. She's got good cold water credentials coming from Jersey. Wales is actually you know, relatively warm in comparison, I think, to some of those winter days. Um, and and also, whatever the conditions are like, different spots, everywhere I've been with Cindy, she's just keen to get in there, you know, if it's a bit <laughs> coney, two foot on the mini-mile, or if we, we've been to some West Wales point breaks, and just, you know, get in, get a surf. She's, um, you know, recently moved to Lantwit, and much respect for getting to know that tricky wave. Um, and, uh, also, and the local crew yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> yeah and for me personally Cindy has had a big um, influence on me because I'd reconciled myself to not going anywhere near any Indonesian reef breaks that was just not going to be something I was going to do and then having a conversation with Cindy and she was telling me about surfing Ulus and then she was encouraging me to do it and that was like a you know watershed conversation for me and I went away thinking Hmm, maybe I can and then you know went went out there actually surfed it it was fine and um yeah and then managed to go to other Indo reef breaks after and it's opened like a whole new area of surfing for me so that was thanks to your encouragement Cindy oh, so uh, this is yeah. great I love this, this podcast already yeah. yeah thank you 
I'm going to have to add that mention of the cold water to the list of topics coming up then. Uh, first, though, a little introduction to whose guest voice um, we've just had a taste of and are about to enjoy for the next hour or so. Uh, as mentioned, Cynthia hails from New Jersey and has settled, fortuitously or not, in Wales through her work as a paleoclimatologist. I've often told people she's an oceanographer, but I get the feeling I'm about to be permanently corrected on that one. <laughs> um, what is safe to say is that she's a scientist of high renown who gets to do field work in some of the most interesting patches of water on the planet. I can, I can confirm the doctor title was indeed down to a PhD in oceanography from when she was still Jersey-based, before a research stint in Australia was then followed by her arrival in Wales. Besides her lack of Welsh accent, Cindy was immediately, immediately recognisable in the lineup, though, for all the right reasons. Someone who takes the act of riding waves as seriously as studying them, or what's underneath them at least. Cynthia is a standout whenever she paddles out. A combination of power, style, aggression and synchronicity makes her someone who will always pull your gaze back towards the shore whenever she takes off. And, and I didn't, we didn't write that um, uh, after the surf this afternoon, but I can confirm that was definitely the experience this <laughs> afternoon. Um, yeah, having made it clear from the off that her career decisions have always been based around getting access to surf spots, Cynthia is therefore a great person to drill down, uh, literally, as we'll shortly hear, on what it means to be a surfer and what exactly our relationship with the ocean is and should be. Uh, and we'll start there, I think. Cindy, you actually use the ocean floor, don't you, to tell us very important things about the planet's story, past, present, future. Yeah. Uh, what exactly does your current research involve? Well, yeah, you're right. I am a paleoclimatologist, and not many people kind of know that term. I don't know if you've ever watched The Day After Tomorrow, but the Dennis Quaid character, it, he yeah. is a paleoclimatologist. Oh, is he? Yeah. So he always says these really abrupt, dramatic things about climate. Um, I'm not as dramatic or abrupt, but we look at past climate, so that's kind of the paleoclimate. And, um, yeah, my research has taken us to being on drill ships for many months to extracting mud from the deep ocean floor, and then within that mud, there's these microfossils that are the remnants of organisms that were once living in the surface ocean or the deep ocean. And we bring that mud up, and then we actually can look at it, see what the microfossils look like. And it's pretty cool, actually. They're like a cell-sized thermometer, so you can take them, grind them up, and put them in a fancy machine that we have at the university called the mass spectrometer. And it can tell us what the elemental composition is. So basically, we can look at what elements from the periodic table are present in that um, fossil. So if you were to go pick up a clamshell from anywhere you guys surfed or touched a coral, it's made of a limestone or, or, or a mineral. And basically the chemistry of that mineral allows us to look at climates in the past. And so we explored um, the Norwegian seas and trying to understand that environment um, on longer time scales, like since the last ice age. So maybe like 20,000 years ago or something like wow. that to thinking about kind of well, once upon a time, there wasn't ice on Antarctica. So why, when did ice eventually form and, and how? And so you can find microfossils that were living 30 million years ago and, and do the same sort of thing. And so part of our work is, is going around on these kind of labs, these floating labs, and actually picking places to look, going to different ocean basins to figure out where we're going to collect mud that was deposited at the right time to tell us something about that environment. Um, but I didn't know about this stuff until, like, you know, it was, like, maybe in my 20s. So I'm not an earth scientist by birth, so it yeah. took a little while um, to kind of get there. And being a keen surfer, I'm sure, you know, I wonder how much your career path was kind of guided by keeping the opportunity to surf and having the chance to go to surfing <coughs> places and... Yeah, I, 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 it's pretty much everything that has guided <laughs> my surf career. And, you know, now that I look back, I keep thinking maybe there's going to be a time when I deviate, but actually probably not. Um, but, yeah, no, I started out just surfing Jersey and then going to a local university that was close to the sea to be able to surf more flexibly. And then um, uh, I decided to, well, what happened is, you know about the hurricane season in the States, right? Because you guys mm -hmm. get swell, residual swell. Yep. So we were getting a lot of different, um, the, na the number of named storms for different seasons were, were different. And it was being driven by El Nino, which is like a climate oscillation in the mm -hmm. Pacific. And I was really interested in that. Like why one of my summers isn't as good as some of my other summers. You know, yeah. I don't support like hurricane devastation, but it's really good for the swell. 
And so that kind of piqued my interest. And then I had a professor who just said, you know, you could do this for a living. And so I thought, okay, I'll do that. I could surf and I could also study the ocean. Um, you know, why not? And unfortunately, a university took me. Um, in New Jersey, a Marine and Coastal Sciences Department took me. And I was able to kind of learn more because I did a chemistry degree. So you kind of, I kind of had it, I don't know about you guys, but in undergrad, um, as a high schooler, um, we didn't have our sciences or geography, so I only knew mostly about kind of basic physical sciences. And so it wasn't until I went to P- do my PhD, actually, that I learned about the Earth system. Okay. And like, well, like when I surf, I can I can think about like what we were talking today about the temperature of the sea and thinking about why is it variable yeah, relative it felt from like the it was S. Different in the yeah. two spots, didn't it? Okay. We were like the S seemed colder than the. The, the coney corner why was that was it the wind or was it we were talking about the the depth of the, the water and and stuff like that or, or just when you see something living you think about how the environment shapes its kind of life and habitat and so I think all that sort of stuff kind of evolved in my PhD and um, throughout that um, you get to kind of yeah go and travel and then you know try and surf the locations you travel and so I had one research cruise where again we went and collected cores from the deep ocean in New Zealand and so, yeah, I remember, you know, surfing some good spots. I went and surfed um, Raglan mm. and Piha and, yeah, just a bunch of kind of like big, nice, nice surf. And um, I did feel fortunate. And all the people thought I was a bit crazy because I was always carrying my board around and force, yeah, forcing us okay. to take it everywhere. Um, it's got to be done. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be done. Um, and uh, one, one time we went off the coast of Santa Barbara. There's an island called Catalina. And yeah. we were doing some, we were trying to grow these organisms um, they call it culturing and yeah I surfed there and I, I like dragged my board in a van fit it in there and enforced them and it was maybe a half a foot but it was everything <laughs> I needed at that moment um, put it on the list then yeah exactly yeah. hey I will I've marked mm. that Catalina I surfed <laughs> Catalina Island um, but yeah so that whole kind of interaction around the surfing and, and thinking about mm. the earth system more was what piqued my interest and the field work trips can be quite good for tying in with the surfing most of the time yeah, the um, the fieldwork trips can be good most of the time, but then <laughs> some of the time, not so good. Um, recently, I had to go to Fiji uh, to do some coral reef work, which we may talk about later. But mm. um, I remember we had 12 days of intense diving, uh, and I set aside the last two to quickly drive three hours to um, to where cloud break was. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I was a fool, really. I didn't look at the, the, the swell. Like, I didn't counter anything because the research ha- had priority in that session. And I remember... We got there, I had a boat lined up, and it was just flat. It was one of those ultimate faceplant moments. Um, And he was like, you should have been, I swear he said it, you should have been here a few days ago. I'm like, what is this, the end of summer? Like, have some compassion for me. Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, And so that wasn't as ideal. But I have been, um, when we went to, uh, I'm trying to think of one of the places. We were in New Zealand, I got some good swell, and um, Borneo. I got to surf one day but yeah sometimes it's tricky kind of yeah. finding the balance but if you can get a tie in at all yeah. I'm sure that's a score you just think the yeah. best trip was the Indonesian trip because we were the whole team was there for three months and I was just there for a month and it was basically going around to all these earthquake impacted islands and kind of looking at the corals and, and seeing what was happening but they were places like Nias, Lombok, Flores, Bali um, you know, it was still really hard for me because when we got to Nias, we went the exact opposite direction of Lagunji Bay. So we were going to be on the other side. And so I didn't get to surf then. But at the end, I stayed behind in Bali and got to surf like, you know, all the spots like Uluwatu and Impossibles and Banyak. And yeah, so that was that was that was really ideal. And um, I still have got those are some of the best memories I've had paddling on Uluwatu at like six foot. And uh, yeah, going through the cave and you know everything mm, you guys yeah, remember magical yeah so then you moved to wales and how did that work out and why <laughs> what brought you here yeah a series of gnarly decisions i suppose <laughs> uh i feel like you know at a certain point in your life right in your 20s you're just like yeah i want to travel and and, and being an american i don't know I, I feel like we are stereotyped but it is true like a lot of like I didn't travel much beyond the mm. states around me and I thought that was culture like going to Florida for a good surf session at New Summer Beach yeah. I'm like I went to Florida I'm cultured now you know yeah. isn't, that, isn't that the sharkiest beach in all of the US apparently New Smyrna I don't it, they had good surf I remember I surfed yeah. for the Hobgoods I remember that day oh, wow, yeah. 
we surfed um, Sebastian Inlet too. Right. Because it was like New Jersey, the pilgrimage, uh, the summer pilgrimage was to North Carolina, the Outer Banks, yeah. and then to um, Florida coast. And you yeah. just drive for 24 hours straight, stop at a Waffle House, eat a waffle, keep going. Um, but yeah, that sort of, uh, you know, environment for me, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I know you can surf other places and I've got this job, this, this, this degree, which will allow me to maybe travel. So I was like, why not? And so I met um, a scientist at a conference and we were just chatting about his research and he was a surfer and worked in Indonesia and worked on corals. And he's like, you want to come work? We go to Indonesia, come to Australia. Yeah, contact me. And I remember I, like a month later, rang him and I was like, I found something. I found a year long, like a funded position that will get me to be in Australia. He's like, okay, great. We'll go to Bali for two months. And I was like, wow, this sounds great. I just got to get my PhD, you know, I finished my PhD and then I, yeah, yeah. I finished my PhD. My money ran out. I had no money. And then eight days later, I went to Hawaii and met my friend and surfed Oahu for a week. And that was like my in between. So I got to surf like, you know, Waikiki, Diamond Head, V-Land, like off the wall. Wow. And just had a blast. It was like my treat. Yeah, um, yeah. after all that work. Had an amazing yeah. session at VLAN. <clears throat> where it's just, you know, when you're on, you're on personally. The crowd's there, mm. but you got all the good waves. It's you're amazing. The with yeah. yeah. It's amazing backside waves I got. And then, yeah, arrived in Australia in like, I think the middle of the night and uh, just rocked up to a share house I was staying. And, you know, a week later, bought a car and drove to the coast. And then I remember my first session was at um, Congo Beach. Kind of this gnarly beach break. I think I'm drawn to beach breaks, being from New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I surfed, and there was some just really beautiful A-frame bowls, and there was like a little left-hand reef break. Um, and you could camp, and if you the lady didn't find you in the morning, you didn't have to pay. So <laughs> that was quite nice. Save your pennies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I was in Australia for a while, and I thought, um, oh, I got a friend who works at the union in Cardiff. And, and she, she said, hey, you should come out here. And I was like, okay, maybe. And there was this one year, again, position. And I Googled surfing in Wales. And, yeah, I found a lot of information, you know, a lot of, like, good surf spots, like reef breaks, beach breaks, point breaks, and then learning all about kind of how the coastline changes direction. So you've got a lot of favorable conditions for a lot of the wind. So I was like, okay, I could do this. And I looked at the seasonal temperature range. I was like, it's not as cold as Jersey. So I definitely could do this. And, uh, yeah, I was like, I'll just go for it. Why not? You know? And But it was going to be temporary. It was going to be that one year. I was just going to be here for a year and then go... Back to Australia. Yeah. Or back somewhere else. Exotic with waves. Exactly. Yeah. Back to Australia. <laughs> and then I stayed. I stayed. Wow. We, the difference you... Preach mentioned that about <clears throat> you're, you're being comfortable in the cold. Um, I just want to find out a little bit about the, the Jersey background. Because you were telling us that you know, Jersey surfers aspire to go into the Outer Banks or even further south to Florida. Within Jersey, is it, it's Manasquan? Yeah, Manasquan. Is the area you're, that you're, you're nearest to? So, um, you started, that was where you learned to surf. And how is Manasquan for a place to learn to surf? So I, I probably surfed the most in like Manasquan, Point Pleasant. And Belmar was like the first place I got a wave. Um, but all the same area, like five minutes apart. Um, but growing up, my, my dad surfed and my brother surfed. And I don't know why I didn't. I was always on the inside getting hit by them or something, you know. And then when I was 16, uh, my friend and I were like, why, don't, why aren't we surfing? And so we started bodyboarding. We bodyboarded for like a solid year. We would just charge all the big swells. But we, we only had a one set of swim fins, so we would each borrow one and, and share. And it was quite funny. Uh, so we were pretty rough and ready, I'd say. Yeah, just and get in there. Yeah, yeah, get in there. And I remember... Throw yourself uh, over the pool. Yeah, I remember the lifeguards there wouldn't let us out in the hurricane swell without two fins, so we would have to take turns on the beach. We'd give mm. one of us fit anyway. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so we just decided, my brother had a board, we took his board, and we, in the winter, we found my dad's old wetsuits from the 70s and wore them. Wow. In the winter, and it was so, it's so cold. So I was saying before, like, um, New Jersey gets really cold in the winter, and so what you have is the water temperature can get below zero. It can go to, like, maybe... Negative, negative six. And then no, you've got you got the are, air you are temperature. talking in European degrees there too. I'm yeah. in Celsius. <laughs> I did my work. I, uh, I knew I was going to be the Jersey representative, dirty Jers, you know, <laughs> sitting here. I was like, got to look these things up in Celsius. I don't know if I can convert back to Fahrenheit anymore, actually. Wow. So negative two. Yeah. And then the air temperature can be negative two. So what you have is the perfect convergence of just freezing cold. And if it snowed, you'd be walking out over the snow into the lineup, be snowing in the lineup. 
your face would freeze. If you had facial guys, beards would yeah. freeze, and then you couldn't talk anymore. Um, and then if it really snowed hard, you'd have to make sure your car was near the beach, otherwise you wouldn't be able to move it. Um, but yeah, it can get super cold. So I remember my hands freezing and not being able to turn my key in the car and having to get like an old woman walking on the, the boardwalk yeah. to say, could you help me please? Or, or couldn't Incredible. get a wetsuit off. And then in the same place, you surf in boardies in the summer because yeah. I, I surfed at Sandy Hook actually oh, yeah, in yeah. New Jersey with uh, Dr. Rid Lewis, who's also of uh, Cardiff University. He was, uh, he was, he was on uh, as our fact checker a couple of shows ago when we interviewed uh, Splinter. And yeah, it was, you know, warm water, like, and uh, I think it was a thunderstorm actually, we had to get out of the water. Oh, yeah. Now, you were saying as well, the Sandy Hook, though, is a place, a great little point break. Or would you call it a point break? I call it a point, I call it like a pseudo point break. Like, I feel like here you guys are, you know what? No, if someone in Jersey listens to this, I've got to represent. (laughs) It's a point break, it's what we call a point break. (laughs) You get a good right hander, it's good when you get kind of side shore winds and it holds big swell. And so, there's certain conditions you go there in, and you can get some really nice kind of flying rights. But there's a big current, and also when it's good, everybody's there, so you're being strategic and as we were saying earlier at the S when we were surfing, like there's also in the summer a swimming section. So although you're in boardies, you got to navigate like what yeah. is lifeguards and swimmers and you got to kind of take the wave and then get out quick. But, but yeah, Sandy Hook is one of the, 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 the places in New Jersey that people call the point break. And I always remembered when, when Rid and I went there, we got this idea in our heads about we wanted to ride a wave and look at the Empire State Building as we rode a wave look up and try and do it it was actually quite hard because you're trying to find it in the right, skyline yeah. but you have a memory that I, I saw the photo of this from 9-11 that it was the surf was pumping on 9-11 and you have a memory of surfing there and being able to see the the smoke coming yeah. off Manhattan yeah I mean because we lived in New Jersey like most of our family worked in New York and so everybody had family members that you know were working that day as well and so I remember it was a really good surf like maybe six foot and clean, I remember in the morning, we surfed Manasquan Inlet in the morning, and we got out, and then we were told that, you know, planes have flown into the World Trade Center, and we were just like, what? You know, it just didn't, you know, it was unfathomable, it didn't sit with us. Um, I don't really remember what else happened that day besides worrying for loved ones, but then we decided... you were a grommet when this happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were just like, you know, young, like 20, just just Mm. enjoying, I don't remember how old I was actually then, but (laughs) but yeah, I was young and carefree, and... um, I remember we just were worried about, like, you know, loved ones in the day. And then we mm. went up for surf again. <laughs> and the winds had changed. That Sandy Hook was the best spot. Um, but then, yeah, as you drove down kind of the coastline, there's, well, the plume, the plume uh, from the, you know, the impact uh, was all along the coastline. And when you were actually in the water at Sandy Hook looking over, um, you couldn't really see anything. You couldn't make sense of Manhattan. You couldn't see the Empire State Building. All you could see was, well, yeah, it was pretty ominous. And uh, all of us out there were just, we were surfing, but just kind of like, oh, man, didn't know what to do with this weird kind of feeling, this weird energy. Um, and I was saying, like, earlier that I don't remember the waves I got that day. I only remember what it looks like in the morning, how it felt when mm. we heard the news. And then that just the awkward, like, we're surfing okay there's ways but you can't you know it was just it was like it was a a mind trip um yeah yeah um but yeah typically you can see the empire staple and although i never tried to surf and look at it maybe (laughs) because i was from new jersey Jersey, (laughs) i just was like it's there (laughs) the thing i remember about manuscon was that you had to pay to go on the beach and yeah. I think we arrived right at the end of the day and it was free for the last hour or something and then everyone had gone in because it was like the end of the, uh, just in the summer I think is that right? Yeah so in the summer from 9 to 5 uh, you have to pay you have to get a beach tag mm. in each township so say if you lived here Coney Beach would be a different badge than Rest Bay okay. and it's maybe $8 for the day oh, wow. and they check so there's a person who sits at the gate and says do you have a badge and i remember surfers usually would surf before nine and after five but you know if the tide's wrong what do you do so i mean we did everything from running as fast as we could jumping over the boardwalk because new jersey's coastline is all full of boardwalks it's got some of the longest boardwalks and hoping that the badge checker was old enough they wouldn't run after us um (laughs) too slow yeah (laughs) yeah to another thing you could do is you get there super early and just stay on the beach don't ever go off the beach because you never go back to the badge checker but then there was these beach police who would check so 
I remember once uh, we, I was taking a nap and they caught me. I was like, ah, oh. so we had to be on red alert. Like, quick, get in the water. If you're in the water, they wouldn't follow okay. you. Um, or we, we actually, I mean, God, we made some badges. You know, we actually bought one and then we, we copied it and uh, we just, and, and it turns out the badge checkers knew what we were doing because we yeah. talked to them years on. They're like, we knew what you guys were doing, just trying to serve. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty in- intense. And what it creates is like these isolated pockets of surfers. Yeah. Um, and. Oh, because they've got it, a license for the one. Yep. Stretch. So, so yeah. this whole beach, okay. you'd have, say, like, Rest Bay. It would only be very, a small area. Yeah. And the surfers, and they really uh, enforce it, so the lifeguards will, like, tell you off if you drift out. So you'd have to surf that small area, regardless if the, the sandbar was good. If the sandbar changed, you'd still be there. committed with your dollars. <laughs> so you'd have to be quite strategic about what you did. Like, what we did is one of us would get a badge for there, another one would get a badge for okay. here. Like, two different types of waves. And then we would count, we would make one. I mean, yeah. it, I'm sure other people did this, surely, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> as, as a young person. And then we would, uh, yeah, we would, we would use them. But it, it was really so tricky. you get, like, a season ticket then? You could. That was more expensive okay. for people, you the know, when you're surfing, you don't have a job. Yeah. So it would be, like, $100 or something. Okay. Um, but you could do that, too, yeah. yeah. We would just be uh, strategic. We didn't have very much money. We didn't have job. We were just surfing, yeah. so we could kind of just live on the beach. That's all, I'm sure. It was... And we... Um, but sometimes, yeah, it would be tricky. So you could get there after five and then just rock up and surf mm, and stuff like fine. that. Yeah. But when we got um, big hurricane swells and the flags went red. Yeah. Um, because New Jersey's kind of, I feel like they kind of over-police this ocean. So the lifeguards want to keep you safe. It's great. But when they put the red flags up for the swimmers, they also wouldn't let the surfers go out. And oh, so we had some incidents where people would just go out and they'd call the police and the police would extract them from the, the water. Wow. And give them a ticket. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But then at five PM, they'd be like, "Actually, you can go out." There's okay. no more Once red they were off duty, they were stood down. And then, yeah. yeah, but yeah, New Jersey. I felt like it was a scene. I still remember one time um, I was in a kind of more wealthy neighborhood after surfs, um, and I was changing out of my wetsuit, and I wasn't naked or anything. I had a towel. Um, two police cars pulled up behind us. Wow! And they. Um, they uh, wrote us a ticket for disrobing in public and it's equivalent to like urinating in public mm. <laughs> and we had to go to court and fight it it's a cool crime though because that's what the girl the girl played by uh, laurie petty in point break uh, is oh really on, think, isn't it? yeah that's her, that's her previous record it's oh how, i almost could have had a record there it's how, it's how johnny like a... utah is able to pull her up on a police file in the first place did yeah. they let you off in court then <laughs> well yeah yeah they yeah, did then because because it ended up those police the local police officers they ended up like um booking quite a lot of people for the okay. same thing and they were just being a bit too intense because i was yeah. I, don't, I don't think i was naked i was you know yeah, yeah you i was were just decent. changing yeah, yeah. but Ta- it was tara that's her name i think in point break isn't it I forget. But yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> it's good to hear about um, New Jersey and how that was growing up. Um, but paleoclimatology, um, so it's a strand of oceanography. Uh, you've told us a bit about what you do, but can you tell us about what you've been discovering and working on recently? You're yeah. What's interesting about it at the moment? Yeah, you guys did your research, so I'm impressed. So <laughs> you're going to be your scientist soon. Um, yeah, well, I can tell you about some of the work we've been doing lately. So a lot of the research is looking at coral reef systems. Okay. So they're, I'm sure you guys are all aware surf. of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good for surfing. Ex- yeah. Actually, yeah, my first acquaintance was duck diving, yeah. you know, a coral reef environment. So good. It wasn't chosen for that reason, but it does happen yeah. to the line. Um, but we're kind of trying to look at, so coral reefs are, you know, these amazing kind of underwater ecosystems, like little cities under the water, and they're really important. So I think like 900 million people live within like a few hundred kilometers of reefs. So a lot of people are reliant on them for things like um, food, um, job security with tourism. Mm. We're also like shoreline protection, like they yeah. provide a, n- a natural kind of buffer to coastal storms. Um, but I think you must have seen the news, like they're completely under threat by climate change. And yeah. so there's a lot, a lot of papers, uh, sorry, news about the Great Barrier Reef and how yeah. every year El Ninos kind of propagate through. And when you have an El Nino, it elevates the temperature that the corals live in for so many days. It's like baking here in a heat wave for five weeks and you don't have an oscillating fan. So the corals are just sitting in this like really warm water. It's warmer than they're used to. And what happens is uh, they kind of uh, struggle and they do something called bleaching. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the coral is an animal yeah. and it's the hard bit and it can grow, but it lives symbiotically with an algae. 
or yeah. a, a plant basically. Yeah. And so the plant which photosynthesizes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So light's important for corals. Also the the right temperature. If it gets too hot, that relationship between the animal, the coral and the plant breaks down and they actually exude or like ex- expel the algae and so that they lose the color. The algae is the color. And is it because they they want to be a paler color so that they absorb less heat? No, it's so, actually the temp- Like the way you put a white t-shirt on on a hot day, you know. Yeah, no, that that's a good idea, but the coral is it's it's biochemical it's biochemistry meaning like if it gets too hot this certain reaction can occur the cell is like cell death cell death and the algae are like I must leave I must leave and then they just go away and what you're left behind with is the skeleton the coral's still living the animal um, but it's not going to grow its skeleton as fast and if it's in that state like it doesn't have its buddy the algae with it it's going to it'll stop growing and that's that's when you can get to mortality and death and so that's the big questions is how do corals manage in this environment? How will they manage in the future? And so one of the things we've been lucky enough to do is recently we went to Fiji and we were asking this exact question. The way we could answer it was by collecting samples. Yeah. And so we were able to go all on coastal Fiji to areas that corals have done really well. They're thriving. Okay. And then corals are like, ooh, they're not doing very well. They've got like algae growing over them. And what we did is we took drilling equipment and we dived and we dived to right on top of the coral head. And I think one thing that's critical to understand is these corals that we specifically look at are brain corals and they can grow up to six meters tall. So wow. imagine if you're surfing and you duck dive and you see a six, it's like a balmy, you know, like a six yeah. meter tall balmy. Um, so they've been living there for about 600 they years. They look like brains. They're yeah. Big and round. Yeah, big and, and yeah. round. And I they just I can picture them. Yeah. yeah, they've been just growing up every year. And if you were to crack them open, you can see um, annual layers like a tree ring. Yeah. So when you crack open a tree, you can see... So you can actually count back in time to see how old the coral is. Wow. I know. It's really amazing <laughs> that if you come across this one coral, it's been there for 600 years. Um, so what we do is we'll go stand on the coral, and then we'll take a drill, you know, um, a, with a coral barrel, and then we extract a few meters worth of skeleton. So this is all dead. So the only bit that's living is the very thin veneer yeah. of living coral on the on the, the the top. And so we're just extracting that thin veneer and then what's been mm. previously deposited. And so we get these cores out and you can already see things like um, we saw a really big pocket where something was living inside the coral. They call them bioerodors, so it erodes away at the, the biology and and that we think was related to a cyclone that came through. Um, So you can kind of pick up on just looking at the core of how it changes its kind of growth to interact with the environment. And so we can start to think about, okay, this thing's lived for 200 years and it's experienced all these really hot periods. How did it do? How did it respond? Mm -hmm. Did it ever slow its growth? So we can begin to understand a little bit about the sensitivity to future climate change. And in doing that, it helps you think about, okay, if we know we're going to see two degree warming in this area we can expect that this species of corals just won't make it. Oh gosh. And so that helps kind of, the, the looking at the past climate can help us kind of with future projections. Mm. And also, we just get to understand about corals, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, we can look at the coral growth. So it's pretty cool, actually. You just take them. We used to take them and get x-rays. So you'd get your core, you'd have like a cylinder, and then you'd slice through it into a, a long slab, and then you take it to the hospital and get it x-rayed. And you can pick up on the density changes, just like your bone x-ray. You can be like, oh, growth, oh, death, growth, whole. And then you can piecemeal it. But now yeah. we use a, a 3D imaging, just like you were to get 3D image to your body. And you put the corals through and you get these super cool images that you can say, oh, I think a sponge was living there. And the scales are like super small, like less than a millimeter. It's actually quite similar then to the technology that was used to do the autopsy on Richard III, wasn't it, when they found him in the car park in Leicester? Oh, man, I don't even know. Yeah, I, listened to <laughs> I feel like I've lived here long enough, but I don't even know that. Yeah, I listened to a lecture this Canadian lady, Turi King, who did, and it was exactly that. They were talking about the, the 3D imaging, and then they were saying that they could tell a bone injury and he'd recovered from it and a bone injury that he hadn't and this was the death one and all stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of um, doing images of skeletons of dead, you know, marine animals just to see what's happened and you can pick up things from the imagery. So does your work paint less of a bleak picture for the future of coral because you've seen that it's survived these tough periods before or is it 
something different now. I like your positivity. You know, <laughs> I, I was like coming here. I was That's like, I'm going to be so. positive and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, just breathe positivity. And yeah, so actually one strand of our work is, is looking at that. So we've got a field site in Borneo um, that is uh, really cloudy water. So turbot, they call yeah. it a turbot reef. And so the corals there are really thriving. And so for some reason, when it gets really hot, they're just like, no problem. They just continue growing. And, and we're okay. trying to research why they're so resilient. That's yeah, the yeah. word. And the algae and is still... Yeah, exactly. So, so that reef has had to live in an environment. So if it's really cloudy, there's not too much light, right? And right. the algae love the, the light. And so yeah. they've come to some sort of space that is, you know, a balance where they can use energy and the kind of products that come from the algae and photosynthesis, but also eat what's in the water. So they're able, the coral themselves, to eat things that are in the water. Okay. So they use, yeah, they can yeah, use yeah. those two things. And so we we went there and we were actually just doing surveys of all these different um, reefs that were really clear to really turbot and trying to get a sense for whether or not there was more species of coral and, and, and what happens uh, when it gets really warm. And so we were, during the COVID actually, if, they, if there was bleaching warning in this area, we were going to go and, and do like a, a ready... A okay. field excursion but it's covid so obviously no one went but um but to actually see how they responded in a, in a really warm period um so that's kind of a really interesting thing it's we're trying to focus as well on these resilient species that mm. we know have done well yeah um we know that can bounce back and recover after these periods of warmth um but it is tricky uh, yeah. with the projections can, can yeah. it can it be cultured or you know what was the word you used earlier yeah cultured, cultured like, like yeah. trees can you perhaps then take that resilient coral and put it in a bit of the barrier reef that's struggling like like the way we'd plant a forest to try and carbon capture yeah you know, there's like that's a whole theme of research they call it coral tra- gardening or coral transplantation and so right. what you can do is you can find those resilient species take them to the lab culture them like you know like grow them like they're in your fish tank under certain conditions grow a lot of them and then transplant them to a part of the reef that actually could use that sort of, well, like, uh, you know, a species or a substrate because they kind of provide, like, structure and things for yeah. fish to live in and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, so you can, you can do that. And actually people are doing that. So they're, they're, they're growing them. And they're even taking it a bit further. They're genetically altering them. So they call right. it assisted evolution. It's quite a controversial wow, yeah, thing, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Where they grow and genetically modify coral species to have algae, or that plant, that is more resistant to warmer waters. Mm. GM wow. coral. Yeah, no, it's exactly like a, that. Like a, like a grapefruit. It's exactly that. Doing that with other animal species would be really controversial. But well, the ethic, the, yeah. yeah. So there's this, like, this dichotomy, like there's two groups of people. They're like, we've got to preach conservation and we've got to not think about this as a way out. And yeah. the other group is like, we've got to do something that's happening now. Right. And it is a real yeah, kind of hard, hard thing to consider. Which camp is right, really. It's amazing that, that those kind of conversations, you know, like they're, they're deep. And that is, I suppose, mine and Breege's experiences of academia is that kind of, you know, heated debate and, and um, having to sort of question everything and... and I was wanting to ask you a bit about these field trips, right? Because, like, sorry if this is a cheeky question, but I want to know, like, how close are they to, like, my GCSE geography project when I was a kid, you know? (laughs) On these field trips, are you literally there with, like, you know, a pair of kitchen gloves on, like, you know, rubbing your hands through a bucket of sand that you've just pulled up and then, like, sitting there with a little clipboard with a pencil and, like, writing the stuff on or... Or is it all a little bit more sophisticated than that? I listened to a podcast the other day about scientists who have been looking at sewage. And, in fact, they've been looking at sewage to try and find out if it's got COVID spores in it because they reckon that they can... It's a cheaper way of predicting which city has got COVID on the rise (laughs) because you just look at... and, And they were saying they've literally got pots of, like, shit... In their, yeah, yeah. I, in, I in read their about office, that. Just there. Is it like that? You know, so, so is it's it? Science. It's all for science. You know, or is it like much more sophisticated than my geography project as a GCSE? And you probably did a geography project too, didn't you, Bridge? Longshore drift. Yeah. Some beach. Oh, wow. Going across. Yeah. Hey, you know, the bunch of geographers. Yeah. I didn't even know. Um. Sorry, I don't want this to be like when Rob asked you know the triathlete Emily Williams, you know, about 
his his advice it gave her advice on how to go for a 10 mile walk you know but it's like no no this is, is, is a it good like question. that is it you know is it a pair of kitchen gloves and sand or is it sort of well I, like i say so we take the university students out and and usually we do say okay dig what you see in the sand any microplastics so but what we do you know what it's it's an interesting question so what we do right now is a bit more sophisticated because we we know that there's a we know that there's a problem we know that we need to go to a specific location to kind of diagnose that problem like Fiji corals are doing well in some areas. So we know that that's a good area to try to answer our questions. But in the early days, like the sort of thing where you get a glove and look at the sand, that was what was happening. So, you know, before we had scuba, we didn't know really what the coral reef environment looks like. And so once we had scuba, those first scientists were actually going diving and going, oh, we have 25 different species of hard corals and that sort of science was happening where you just go, you rock up to a place and going to a new island and and seeing what species there are is your big mission. But now we we have all that information. So we have a generally good idea about kind of the species composition, what the reefs look like. Uh, So you're starting from the basis given to you by previous research. Yeah. And so now we we have all this cool technology, right? So people are doing 3D uh, uh, imaging underwater. So basically they're doing pretty impressive mapping of the they call it the rugosity or the reef framework to see how it goes up and down right um it's just incredible or using um satellites to actually remotely determine how properties change in that does that that mean that you you're getting your dive mask on less though now um no i'd say that no there's nothing so so to do the drilling you have to be like a, a technical team that goes in the water, has the expertise, so mm. knows what coral species. Which one to yeah? yeah, one that also had a good life, one that you don't, you're not gonna drill into, and there's a like a clam living there. Okay. <laughs> so and you want one that's kind of grown a normal life. Some look really like bumpy on the top, which right. means they've kind of struggled. So you're looking for one that'll give you the best kind of normal data set. Uh, so if you get one that had an abnormal life, yeah, like that abnormal life can impact your record and your data. So so you have to have that knowledge. So the scientists who go in, they have to have that expertise. Um, and the technical drilling, it's like a certain group, and you've got to know when you're drilling, like how far. Oh, okay, I've reached the bottom, and mm-hmm. you know you got to be able to do that. I would say that, um, you know, what it is is that you don't have to dive as much to learn about the environment, and so. I'm diving to collect the samples. That's a big, big part of it. I'm also diving when we were in Borneo to just just look at what was there because mm. we were diving in turbid waters. You couldn't see very much. <laughs> it was quite cloudy, but you you were trying. You were looking at the different species there, doing a survey. So no one's done that, and you can't really use satellites. But you're, you're using the word dive quite off the cuff there, but like this isn't going to be what like we might assume. You know, like your party, like you are a good diver aren't you yeah i i I, uh i've come a long way and to do this sort of diving you have to get a a certain like certification to be signed off for risk (laughs) so uh, i've had to i've gone through and i've done up to like rescue diver emergency first responder like i've done that whole suite and so i can be a part of this technical team and as you go through and do more drilling and more kind of diving you get more certification but in borneo it was pretty gnarly because you're, you were purposely diving in, in murky water. So the viz was sur- super low. And I still remember our most turbid site um, was near this village. So also you're dealing with kind of like the, the toilets are just the village. And yeah. so you're like, okay, you know, it's okay, let's get under. And then you go under. And I don't know what happened, whether or not it was one of us, but someone touched the bottom. And it was just a plume of silt and clay. And I couldn't see anything but like the person's ear to the left of me and I was just like huh what are we, what, like are we aborting this because we can't see anything surely if we can't see anything we can't do anything eventually we, we all abort it and went up and we we're like okay only the two best divers are going down there because <laughs> it, it was just no, such just a sensitive so area um but you can't even see your teammates yeah, who you're no. supposed to be doing it with but to be in this I, I you know you definitely have to be in a space and you area, gotta keep like, calm then I mean, yeah because you're part of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to make sure you can be down there as long as you need to support the team. And we were rolling out, like, survey equipment, taking videos. We were down for about an hour. And then a couple of weeks... Yeah, excuse us there. I think Mark Schofield's dog from a couple of episodes ago <laughs> was trying to... Once more of the Maybe he's studio. interested. Yeah, he's like, yeah, more. Um, then you're in conferences then. So it's like, you know, off off with all the dive kit. And, yeah, and, and, and the muddy oven gloves and kitchen gloves. And then it's like... 
your professional wear. Suited up as professional <laughs> and giving PowerPoints. And, uh... You're a little bit tanner, but yeah, completely. <laughs> Do you come across many other surfers in this line of work? Uh, yeah, actually, um, water people, like, you know, people who are, but yeah, uh, I remember a surfer friend of mine from New Jersey, I, I saw him at a conference recently, he's a physical oceanographer in Hawaii, he landed the Hawaii job, I'm so Aww. jealous, he surfs Diamond Head every day, <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, I applied for the jobs there for like <laughs> five years one. going, <laughs> and, uh, but I'm quite happy here, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I applied, and yeah, I ran into him, and I have another surfer friend, he's a, he's a specialist at one of the universities in, in New Jersey, so I think they do populate. Um, it's that natural interest, right? You know, about kind of just learning more about the environment you, you like. And the ones who don't surf, do they do other sort of ocean yeah, pursuits, good, other ocean activities? Good question. Um, some do, or some are like just outdoorsy, you yeah. know, like climb or sail. But then I have some friends who are purely just fascinated by science and, and wow. don't surf at all and, and just love learning about the ocean and I guess growing up by a sea gives you that. So just yeah. seeing the ocean and there's so much more of that than us. Yeah. And, you know, how does it help us? And We've talked a lot about your research with corals in, um, in India, in, in Indonesia and Borneo. And you've done mud coring cruises to the Norwegian Sea and off New Zealand. You've worked in the Gulf Stream. Yeah, yeah. Part of the work that we did uh, with the mud coin was similar to what I've talked about before, where we were looking at these fossils that were deposited like millions of years ago. And it's kind of interesting because we're living in Wales and the Gulf Stream impacts the climate here. And so we were trying to look at how the Gulf Stream moved, changed the intensity over, say, the last 20,000 years. So when it was very cold in the Ice Age to climate like today... And that work, we got to go in there for a month, and I even got to dip my head in the Gulf Stream. It was quite wow. salty, it is true. Uh, and so, yeah, that was a really interesting kind of uh, trip that I got to learn a lot. Were you at sea the whole time? Yeah, that trip? you were at sea. You live in a ship for a month, and you're part of a team, and you either have a morning shift or an evening shift. So mm. you're helping the mud comes on, on board. You start to process it, so collect samples, look what's there. Or you're part of the team that's collecting water, because a lot of the time you also want to look at the temperature of the water. Yeah how much nutrients are in it kind of just what anything you can about where these these things were living once upon a time yeah and also you can track through the gulf stream so you can look at temperature and salinity or the saltiness of the water and you can see when you go through it you're like wow we're in the gulf stream so as an oceanographer it was a pretty epic moment and then science shows you you've gone from just normal ocean to gulf stream yeah and you're like we're there okay let's see if we can find any mud that's from the right time it was really cold for us to do some cool science well, it's very relevant to us in Wales because it does keep our temperatures up in the winter. And um, yeah, that's the reason we yeah, top, top Jersey for winter temperature, isn't it? Yeah, having those freezing temperatures of Jersey. And um, what about your surf travel then over the years? Any favourite places? I know you've got the New Zealand link with your other half. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, done New Zealand and and surf there, and uh, been to say. Portugal recently and surf like Peniche and kind of the super tubes and stuff but I think one of the more memorable trips is uh, I did a few to Central America and the Caribbean and so as, as a New Jersey person you know it was like California or the Caribbean or Central America those are the big destinations yeah. and, and Puerto Rico so my mom's from Puerto Rico right. and I'd never been there but I'd you know grown up with that side of the family being Spanish speaking and so we're gonna we're gonna like we're gonna do a trip there. We're gonna go surf like Rincon, like the the span. Well, anyway, Spanish wave there, and and that was just really memorable. I think because it was being around like a community and, and people that I'd been brought up with a little bit on the yeah. side, and also everybody looked more like me. Yeah, <laughs> so you got family there. Uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. see them. We just surfed the whole time. Yeah. I aspire <laughs> to go back one day, um, but. And also surfing Costa Rica, actually, because the people were just so lovely. And um, we had some pretty epic sessions at, uh, well, we surfed like Playa Grande in those spots, but went up north a little bit to kind of the Jaco area. And I remember getting stuck in one of our our, tr- our cars in the mud trying to get to the surf break and having to retreat or, or crossing the water with the crocodiles. Yeah. We surfed all What season Ollie's- were you there? We were there probably in the winter. Okay. Because that was our time to go, season? right? January, February. Okay, on a good dry season. Yeah, because yeah. that's when you would go because it's super cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I remember once we took a boat to go surf Ollie's Point. Yeah. And then we were all surfing the lineup, and everybody's like, "I think there's a there's a stick or a log floating into the the, the, the you know the lineup." And like, "No, it's a crocodile. Big Get out of there!" Crocodile, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, everybody yeah, just, just had to pile out. The yeah. yeah. And um and then the, the brave souls who went back out got a few of the waves wow. by themselves. Did you go back in? 
I, I think we must have eventually went back yeah, in, but I was definitely hesitant. Yeah. yeah, have some lunch first. Um, some other good memorable spaces, just surfing California. I think California's got, mm. like, if you grow up in the States, there's all these kind of, like, uh, world-renowned spots, like Black's Beach, Rincon, yeah. Steamer Lane, um, uh, some of the points in the ranch, you know, um, just, like, I did a trip where we just surfed, like, up and down the coast, and... Uh, surfing Black's Beach on a good yeah, swell. Um, quite terrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, we saw a the fin there peaks. once, didn't we? I got out of the water at Black's. Yeah, we saw a shark. Yeah, yeah we, we went up to the Scripps Institute afterwards to check the fin length, and it was like, I think it was a 15-footer oh. or something. So <laughs> I think it was a baby. <laughs> I always went ignorant is bliss, but one time we were surfing Black's, and it was there was an algal bloom, and so the water was super murky. Yeah. There was a guy uh, fishing, and he caught, he was pulling in a shark. And Whoa. we were all in there like, should we get out? But he's got it on the, the fishing line. Surely it's okay. We can't <laughs> see it. And I was like, you know what? I think I draw the line there. Yeah. I'm aware that there's a shark in the water. Yeah. I'm going to get out. It's a fact. Um, it's on yeah, the line. Exactly, then, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But a wind and sea, that was a memorable oh, surf wow. session because okay. it's like a reef break, yeah. super crowded. Really localized? Yeah, super Ooh, localized. Yeah. And I remember getting two waves in before dusk and just being proud of myself that I somehow yeah, did to get that. a wave there. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, oh, such good memories because you grow up hearing about them reading yeah. and there's this big east coast west coast rivalry and uh, you know where they get like big pacific swells and it's always consistent anybody i meet so always like new jersey do people surf there i'm like kelly slater's from florida it's the same coastline yeah like yes we surf there of course we get you know low pressure systems hurricanes winter swells and there's some good surf there mm. um and so i think going to california though and seeing actually yeah. like surfing rincon like first peak you know yeah. you're like oh okay mm. this way. is a setup we don't have this in jersey yeah. um oh hang on you did say that sandy hook was a point it was a point break for, the record, <laughs> for, for all jersey those new guys. jersey shout out to the, the local <laughs> but, it, but it's not it's not a cobble point that's up there with uh, you know no, it's, it's, yeah. there's no beachfront houses to walk out from. <laughs> although, although land trip which we're going to come to shortly oh, yeah. uh, is, is a cobble point um for our listeners you can hear that cindia this is why we've invited you on you're a, you're a, you're a great yakka you know you do a, you, you tell a good yarn um and uh, you you deliver a mean speech a, a good presentation i had you in um to come and meet some of my students who were interested in going into stem careers and you gave a really great talk on the sort of the the dynamics and nuances and uh, of being a woman in the stem subject so that stands for what is it the science science technology, technology engineering, engineering medicine and, and, and medicine, medicine um and the the, P, the German PhD student yeah, yeah. was amazing Penny, as well. Yeah, Penny, she's yeah, she's my PhD student. Um, so can I just ask, it'd be, it would be remiss of me not to ask at this point then, what advice do you have? Yeah, uh, right. we, we know, especially the Vorney episode actually, was listened to by a large number of young women. So um, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was. Interesting. I know, it was. I, I sent Vorney a message. He was delighted about that. How do you um, get that data, Tom? <laughs> yeah, we got, we got Apple, Spotify, YouTube, you can put it all together. I know, they're spying on this. I'm, they excited, the gender of the I'm excited to hear my stats after. So, so, so they're listening. Um, what advice have you got for, for girls looking to go into your line yeah, of work? Right. Uh, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, the, the advice yeah. to girls and guys equally is simple, isn't it? It's apply to do it in uni. But for girls who want to get ahead in that, in that field, you know, because it's... Yeah. A, it's a thing nowadays, isn't it? To sort of it is. It push. is. We talked about things like the leaky pipeline. Like when you get to the super high levels in the university, there's like one woman professor, and, right. you know. But at an undergraduate level, there's like hundreds of females. So, yeah. I think for me, it was really having these role models and interacting with people that supported me, um, and kept telling me that I could do it. And for me, it was important to see that to see a, a woman in a role that was something that I aspired, aspired to. to yeah. And so being lucky enough in my PhD to be around, I think there was a few female scientists who I could see they had a family, they had a, they had the job, they somehow made it through the whole process um, and they pushed through and they were comfortable in meetings with where you're the only woman sometimes, you know? Um, and they had that natural interest in science they wanted to continue. And so I really find that role models. So if you have a network of other females that support network or mm -hmm. role models that can kind of help you persevere. Um, so having someone like um, a female professor in my department, being able to see her navigate it all and make it through and being able to talk to her. That's the one thing I think having role models in that network really makes a difference. Is the leaky pipeline tightening 
Is is, is it, to, to use the yeah. exact opposite metaphor? Is, is STEM are STEM careers opening up for women now? I gotta say, right now, as you asked me in the pandemic, I'd say no. Like right. at least today. So over the last four months, there's a lot of research showing that most of the the time spent away from work has been women, and so they've yeah. been looking at a lot of statistics around. Mm. Uh, scientific articles that are submitted for publication, lesser right. from female. So right now, in these last four months, actually, we've taken a bit of a step back. So women who are at those career pinch points where, you know, if they didn't make the transition, they'd probably not go into that field. Those right. women were going to maybe lose. So right now, it's really difficult to say. Right. Moving maybe a year ago, I would say that, you know, it's a discussion. We're having a discussion. And people are opening up to it and that kind of like equality, diversity, inclusivity, that narrative is being brought in. But right now, in this moment, Mm. it's really difficult to see how we, you know, are there going to be specific new jobs or fellowships open up for women specifically? How do we get through this next kind of year? Because it is going to be tricky. What about being a woman in the lineup? Um, How does Wales compare to Jersey for female surfers? And how have you found settling into being a local Atlantic? Yeah, well, you know, growing up in New Jersey, I had my best friend Marina, and her and I surfed all the time. We were like That's hardcore. Great. We'd like surf all the time and having us together. But we were really the only girls in the lineup outside of this other woman who surfed the beach down the way. Or So we definitely but had to navigate that. Them. Yeah, but they People were supportive, but they always were like, yeah, Blue Crush, Blue Crush movement. And we're like, we surfed, <laughs> we surfed before Blue Crush. I know we've got press, but we're, you know, we surfed yeah. before. We're like, whatever, whatever, we just want to surf. But actually, what I found really nice about coming here is that um, when I came to Wales, I'm just so surprised at how many female surfers there are. And so, um, you know, my first experience was surfing White Sands maybe a year into being here and, and meeting Emma, who's like a local, like, longboarder ripper, and just chatting. So that's uh, Emma Curtis. Emma Curtis. Her, yeah. I never knew her last name. It's yeah, Emma C. Emma C. Oh. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she was longboarding, and I think I was longboarding. We were just chatting, and she was just like, yeah, a bunch of us surf rest bay, you know. And, and then I started surfing rest, and I met you and Anne and, and Claire and Corin, And there's just so many people, mm. uh, and, and Danielle, and, and just, um, and there's other people I can't, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's just such a welcoming community, and everybody really surfs well. And I found that really nice, and everybody kind of, I felt adopted me to a certain extent, invited me to the surf trips. And and that was really unique, actually, to have, because you guys have, like, a third less population. You have more coastline than us. Oh, yeah, go on. Tell us those. You told uh, us the stats I prepared my statistics. Uh, So, yeah, so the population in New Jersey is about 9 million, so three times more than here. The coastline is 137 miles long. We're here. It's 1,300 miles long. But the the size of Wales and New Jersey, they're both about 20,000 square kilometers. So you would think you'd find less female surfers here. You would think also that, well, people are keen to surf here. So there's actually quite a lot of people who surf for the population. (laughs) But yeah, I was really surprised to find this this area. And I really think that like having you guys around to tell me when it was good when I was living in Cardiff really supported me through the last like eight years, you know, when I was having kids and doing all that stuff. And, And also supported me, well floated the idea a lot about moving out here yeah and thinking about oh sh- should it be like Porth call got good spot variety but you chose Lantwit I know I chose Lantwit <laughs> oh, I, I, how, why did I not notice that when I was you know rolling out the beers and making dinner earlier <laughs> well I still remember back in the there day there are big rivals <laughs> I remember back in the day speaking of rivals that you asked me once to compete in the Wilkinson Sword at Lantwit yeah. And I remember that. And I was like, oh, I'd love to. But I was pregnant. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to fall on the rocks. And, yeah. It wasn't and, the right um, time. So we got to, I think, bring the Wilkinson sword back again, somehow. Didn't we? Yeah. But I think I don't know what which you mean bring club it back to I'd serve. to Welsh Coast. Uh, oh, you mean channels? Oh, the baddies. I feel like I'm not educated enough to... You would yeah. be invincible Atlantic now with your local knowledge. That, yeah. See, now the thing Paddle is, right, they're, they're, they're ruthless at poaching other people's athletes, they are. They, they've got no morals whatsoever, those Atlantic boys. We, we've talked about it before. Um, and, and also some of their dirty, underhanded tricks, as, as we talked about with Mark Vaughan, you know, like they take the opposition out drinking the night before I and do. things like that. But um, the, the, in order for the Wilkinson sword to go back to Lantwit, they have to win it. Oh, okay. So we're kind of hoping that doesn't happen because the sight of them winning it is uh, uh, is 
Maybe I can I could join the club and help them try. You know, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just know, I just know that's fun. Let, 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 let's talk wild surf spots, though, shall we? So besides yeah. Nantuck, where else have you enjoyed surfing? Oh yeah, um, well, uh, White Sands definitely, um, Freshwater West, Langaneth, like Triple Peaks, yeah. um, Langland Bay. We surfed randomly New Key Harbor that yeah, one time. That was, that really, was really good random. That day. But I really, storm. yeah, it was really big. <laughs> and the guy with no boots, I remember that yeah, vividly that's in right. the middle of winter. I remember just following you and jumping off and the rocks. rocks. Yeah, that's a very, very rare wave to get. Yeah, that, we isn't scored it? though. Breeze did all good. the math, had all these like swell models, yeah. and was like, "We need to go here for this hour and jump off this rock." We nearly didn't make it because there was too much coffee drinking going on. It's and true. We were like, Come oh on, my we god! Go. Is, 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 is that a? Is there a shout out to Martin John there? Is he? Oh, yeah. you had it all because I think it was a double one. Martin John and Math, I think, had both given me separates. Information, information on how to score it, right? Yeah, but we scored it. Yeah. We got some good waves yeah, at the right good. hour too. Yeah. It was quite fickle. And then it just stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some local guys in, but yeah, it was. You had to run over the slippery rocks to get back. Breeze just like, jumped in. I was like, okay, I'll just jump in. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think one of my favorites though is, is Freshwater West. I think I surfed with you guys there once. Yeah, uh, I but just that the, day. the wave. It's just kind of reminds me of Jersey and some of the bigger days and yeah. uh, the potential. I wish I have surfed more of, like the the little reef breaks. But now yeah. that I'm a Lancewood, I'm I'm quite happy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm quite you know I'm actually now I think I'm turning to one of those people like I just surf Lancewood all the time. Yeah. And if it's not good, I just take it well, you know, I then haven't traveled day. as much, yeah, because it's just got so much variety. Your favorite Atlantic wave? The point, yeah, of course. That's just, God, I'm getting so happy you know, talking about they're, it. Because they're, <laughs> they're a bit backward, yeah, when they, they say bang. the point, they mean the left hander don't they uh you can go both ways but yeah yeah. yes they do i've had to explain it to my kids several times the left is a right (laughs) but no the point it's got everything you want yeah it's got the punchiness you can go left you can go right and it's got that great divide like if you can keep up and paddle you can get the waves and so i I love it i'd surf there like all the time if i could paddle enough to stay in position and since you've been here Welsh surfers, which well, which Welsh surfers have impressed you? Well, yeah, you, you've impressed Welsh surfers. You're Sweet. you're a ripper, but uh, what? Who's impressed you? Well, I definitely like all the local females uh, who I've mentioned before. Just being able to come up and like we went to the wave not too long ago and all yeah, all surfed great. and we were tearing it. Um, but yeah, like uh, all of you guys from here too, like you, Tom, and the local guys from us. But um, but yeah, Lancewood, there's a really good crew of surfers there. We've got like the the, the Vaughn brothers, and I'm I'm kind of getting everybody's name down. You got uh, Jamie Bateman and Liam. Yeah, get a chance to speak to people. Yeah, <laughs> and like Colin and Gwyn, and there's loads of other ones that I haven't met, like officially got their names because it's a lot. But there's a lot of really good local rippers, and uh, I can see why, mm. you know there's this, this this strong club and, and that's you know quite competitive but um but yeah I, I really I really love it there and uh, I'm slowly kind of getting to know everybody and getting to know the crew so you enjoy surfing with the channel coast people do yeah I mean I do is this a safe it's space fine. to say that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I do uh, I think during lockdown as well I mean you know I did get to surf I've been surfing just loads now like every day and right. I think that's just permanent I think the more you do that the more you just you get to know people you go surf yeah. like the shitty beach well, the beach for like an hour just because and you get to know people's lives and it definitely makes you feel more of a community and so I uh I yeah I'm I'm, I'm liking the Lancet well, yeah, I think they're enjoying having you in their lineups, uh, and uh, I enjoyed surfing with you earlier in the ESP, uh, and it's been a, a pleasure having you in the garden studio, Cynthia. Thanks for your time, and let's hope that uh, today's session is a w- is a promising sign for a good hurricane season over on this side yeah. of the Atlantic. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting any time. <laughs> And besides thanking Cynthia, as always, Crest extends a big thanks to each and every listener. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I can assure you that Cynthia is every bit as approachable in the water as she has sounded during this recording session, so say hi and share your thoughts. Likewise, if you're listening to this and interested in perhaps following Cynthia's line of work, she's often a generous communicator with youngsters interested in STEM careers. Aspiring scientists can look you up on Cardiff University Staff yep. Directory, I presume? I'm on Twitter too. Okay. At Cindy Rocks. Cool. And as for the rest of the Crest team, we're just as happy to hear listener feedback too. So do get in touch and Tom will tell you how to do so. Thanks, Breach. Well, do make sure that if you're into these shows that you hit that subscribe button because then you'll be able to pick us up every Monday until November 
without having to do any searches at all. And this can be done through YouTube, Apple's Podcasts or Spotify. As for contacting us, then the email is castcrest at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, where we'll share some of uh, Cindy's posts as well, so you can uh, then follow Cindy too. Uh, and you can follow us to get up-to-date info on our guest roster and our episode content. On that note, Breej is going to tell us a little about who's coming up next. Indeed. Next week, we're moving from east to west, and in doing so, Crest will be meeting up with one of the country's outstanding surfers from the past two decades and more. Gower's James Jones will be taking a quick hour away from his busy life to swap tales for your benefits. For this one, we're also going to experiment with a video feed for the first time. How will it work out? Who knows? But I'm sure the conversation is going to be a great one. As we just said, watch out for it next Monday. Until then, once more, thanks for listening. Cindy, thanks for coming. See you all soon. Dio cam grando a gualachi tronessa. Hoi, Val. Hi, Auntie.